0: Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Jameelcast. I'm Dr Tom Rawson, and today we take another dive into the field and work of one of the members of Imperial College London's Jameel Institute. In today's episode, we speak with Dr Patrick Duan, a research associate who, after working through a global health crisis, is looking back at where weaknesses can be found in our pandemic preparedness plans and looking ahead for what we need to do next time.
1: The COVID-19 pandemic was the first really hard test that the world had for its pandemic preparedness infrastructure. And the lesson that has been learned is that we could have done so much better. More about that on this episode of Jamilcast.
0: Those who have listened to previous episodes might notice a theme emerging in epidemiological scientists. The field is one that pulls on the strength of a wide variety of backgrounds and expertise. And Patrick is no exception.
1: So my academic background is quite varied. I did my undergrad in maths and geography. After that, I did a PhD in applied maths, mathematical modeling again, and numerical simulations of turbulent fluid flow. So two seemingly distinct fields, but it was really the combination of the two that got me interested in the mathematical modeling of real world phenomena, everything from weather and climate to economics and finance. I finished my PhD in autumn of 2020, and I was one of those lucky or unlucky people who had to defend my thesis online over Skype. The pandemic had highlighted the need for people with technical backgrounds, and I felt that I could contribute given my skills and background. My contributions were in the development of an integrated epidemiological economic model, which was used to identify optimal lockdowns or business closures that could have been imposed in the UK to minimise the economic impact of lockdowns against the backdrop of vaccination. And I also did some work on modelling the waning of COVID vaccines over time as well. 2023
0: has seen the focus beginning to shift when it comes to researching pandemics. Now, the last couple of years were naturally about immediate answers to pressing real-time questions to help fight COVID-19. As we emerge from this period, the focus instead turns to how do we improve for the inevitable next time? A broad area of research under the umbrella term of pandemic preparedness,
1: or P2 for short. Pandemic preparedness is a very broad term. In general, you could define it as meaning that there are plans and systems in place to detect outbreaks early and to respond in a manner that minimises the cost of a pandemic. So this encompasses everything from pathogen and vaccine research, disease surveillance infrastructure, PPE stockpiles, hospital capacity and staffing, but also aspects such as the resilience of populations to disease outbreaks and the impacts of mitigation measures, not just on health, but also on society in general. For example, the cost of school closures. better understanding of these things will help us to impose better interventions in future and to respond better.
0: Now, the pandemic has given us a huge amount of data to work with here. One of the greatest lessons learned from the pandemic is the need for global cooperation when tackling a novel disease, especially one that spreads as quickly as COVID did. When it comes to fast-moving pathogens, protecting your neighbours is just as important as protecting yourself. It's all well and good for one country to pour money and effort into squashing their own case numbers, vaccinating their own populations – But that can all be for nothing if protection is so poor in other countries that new variants can emerge, more cases can be imported, and of course more people worldwide will suffer. There's a need
1: for initiatives and groups to push for international collaboration. One scheme that is in place for pandemic preparedness is the Pandemic Fund hosted by the World Bank. This exists to provide financial support to low and low and middle income countries to invest in various pandemic preparedness measures. However, there are significant challenges associated with this. To date, I think they've only gotten just below $2 billion in donations from high-income countries mostly, but at the same time, they have received over 100 applications from low and low- and middle-income countries for various projects. And so how does the Pandemic Fund prioritise these $2 billion sounds like a lot of money, but in reality, when you're considering the whole world, it's really not enough. For context, the NHS Test and Trace programme in the UK cost £37 billion, so even more in dollars. And this is one programme for one country, let alone considering multiple different programmes for the entire world. So, lots of money needed and not enough to do everything.
0: Last week's episode with Katarina gave us a great insight into the world of health economics and the ways that these challenges have to be approached. Careful calculations of the cost-to-benefit ratios. In the P2 context, things get even trickier. You're trying to design a pandemic preparedness strategy when you, of course, don't know when that's going to happen or even what the disease is going to be. It's like having to pack to go on holiday without knowing where you're going or how long for.
1: We don't know what the next pandemic is going to be. We can look at what's already out there as an indication of what might come. The WHO has produced a list of 10 priority pathogens with epidemic or pandemic potential. I'm involved in a literature review that aims to collate knowledge and our understanding of these diseases. Scientists typically have a short, well defined research question. But variations of questions have been posed over the years, and there are hundreds and thousands of articles that have been published over the years. And it is of interest to collate our knowledge of particular aspects, say of a disease or something else, to try to get the biggest picture possible, to collate the results and to compare the results in order to better inform if there is an outbreak of that same disease and... And an epidemiologist has to decide on one number as a central estimate, what value do they use? My job is difficult because we are trying to figure out what investments are appropriate, what pandemic preparedness measures we should be focusing on. But one of the problems is that different measures will matter or won't matter in different scenarios. So, for example, vaccination may have a huge impact on a disease with significant waning immunity, but then may have a much less impact on a disease where there is much lower waning of immunity, in which case vaccination may come too late. Another example is that contact tracing and testing may be much more impactful on a disease that is less transmissible, which has a longer generation time, the time between the infection of an index case and a secondary case. And so we need to try to figure out in what situations certain measures may be more impactful, and also then what the cost of these measures may be. We need to bear in mind that pandemic preparedness is a continuous process. There will be startup costs, for example, of investing in a contact tracing system, but then also recurring costs. So you need to maintain that system. So this is comparable to an insurance policy and the annual recurring cost is the premium. And for certain countries, the cost of the premium will be more than the benefit that they will see of having this system in place when an outbreak happens. For example, if there was a swine flu, which was a relatively mild disease, if there was a swine flu outbreak in a country with a very young population, then the investment in a pandemic preparedness measure like contact tracing may well be much more more expensive than the expected benefits they would see of having a contact tracing system in place.
0: The way to tackle such an unknowable problem then is to develop more flexible tools to research with. We've heard in previous episodes about detailed ongoing work into specific pathogens and diseases, often hyper-specialised models and software, to boost understanding of a specific disease in a specific place. You can't, however, use a specialised model of malaria to help plan for a foot-and-mouth outbreak, for example. Patrick and his colleagues work then in developing a range of integrated models, models that capture a wider and often more general number of systems and dynamics. The idea here being that, different potential pandemics will impact societies in different ways.
1: We are approaching pandemic preparedness from a more general perspective, and that is accounting for the fact that disease outbreaks and the mitigation measures imposed in response to disease outbreaks, they don't just have an effect on health, but they also have an effect on the economy and society in general. And so that's why when we are looking at pandemic preparedness and specific measures, we are using into Integrated epidemiological economic models. So these are models that try to account for both the spread of disease and also the state of the economy at any point in time. Daedalus is the in-house epi-econ model that we have been using for the last two years. It captures the fact that different economic sectors, so for example, agriculture or retail or education have different transmission risks associated with them. So an agricultural worker, such as a farmer, may have far fewer contacts on a daily basis than a teacher who works in a classroom with 30 or more students. And so Daedalus accounts for the fact that workplace transmission differs by economic sector and is also able to calculate the cost of closing down sectors to different extents.
0: Pandemic preparedness as a concept certainly isn't brand new. There was plenty of existing work considering what-if scenarios. However, this is the first time in the digital age where we really have significant information on the wide-reaching impacts of a public health challenge of this scale. It's sparked a revolution in understanding and further research into where societies and economies
1: are most fragile. This work was definitely not possible before the COVID-19 pandemic. As I see it, the P2 questions that we were dealing with before COVID were all hypotheticals. And we saw firsthand that in a lot of countries, the plans and systems and infrastructure that was in place was not sufficient hospital occupancy quickly reached capacity in a lot of countries. Testing systems were hitting capacity and test positivity rates were approaching 100%. PBE quickly ran out and countries struggled to acquire it because all countries in the world were sending in orders. The outbreak of COVID and the imposition of economic closures and school closures in response to it Really lit a fire beneath integrated modeling. And it also provided us with the data to try to parameterize these models. Daedalus is a very data hungry model. We need so much information on the current outbreak, so the level of hospital occupancy, the number of deaths, contact rate estimates, and then also economic data what lockdowns have been imposed, how have different sectors been affected. Before COVID, a lot of these questions were all hypothetical, but we now have the data available to answer these questions in a more rigorous manner.
0: The demands from integrated models are huge, and Patrick and team have been inundated with requests to assess industries, sectors and whole countries. With a dataless model, the Jamil Institute routinely helps world leaders answer questions about the impact of public health policies. One of the biggest barriers to doing this is often finding the right way to even quantify such a wide-reaching concept as preparedness as a whole. Especially when, in most instances, it's about having the means available to react to a wide variety of potential disease threats.
1: The measurement of preparedness is as broad as the definition of preparedness. Again, we can look at individual factors like hospital capacity, how many spare beds are available beyond what are used by the health system in normal times, what are staffing levels of healthcare workers like. But one factor to consider is that no matter how well prepared a country is, what is crucial is that the policymaker at the time responds in appropriate manner and that the capacity and infrastructure that is in place is used to its full potential.
0: As you've heard, this is a lot of new ground, science that hasn't been possible before. And in 10 years' time, who knows what more we'll be able to consider. I was keen to hear about what next innovations Patrick has his eye on and what hurdles still need to be
1: overcome. In the future, we want to be able to do more sophisticated economic modelling with integrated models. We also want to try to incorporate human behavioural factors into Daedalus. So how does the outbreak of a disease affect people's contact rates or vaccination uptake? How does human behaviour affect the economy? Will people consume less or will they be afraid to go to work? And we also want to extend Daedalus to more countries and to consider more diseases because for sure this will not be the last pandemic. What's hard about looking at pandemic preparedness is that it's very speculative. We don't know exactly how people will respond to different disease outbreaks. What if we have a disease that isn't that transmissible or severe, but produces some really nasty visible symptoms? People might behave in a much more reactive manner and this might change how people behave. And the mitigation measures that people will accept? Is there still going to be lockdown fatigue if the next pandemic breaks out within the next five or 10 years? Or are people going to be so afraid because we don't know exactly what we're dealing with until further down the line or further into the outbreak that people adhere quite well in the initial stages? We just don't know. And so it's important for pandemic preparedness work to be flexible to address this uncertainty. It's been a sobering few years for the global
0: health community, and the echoes of COVID are gonna be felt for a long time. It's easy to be hopeful, though, when you see just how much work is being born from the pandemic, how much stronger
1: our systems are becoming, and how many lessons we've learned. The types of pandemics that we were prepared for were essentially those that we see most often. These ones are the ones that have a smaller disease burden. They're not that transmissible, for example, SARS, or they're not that severe like swine flu. These are the ones that we see most often, but there is nothing to say that a very transmissible and relatively severe disease outbreak could happen and it did happen in 2019 and it was a very difficult lesson for the world to learn and in the future we need to be aware of that you can find a link
0: to some of the latest research papers born from these integrated models at the link in the show notes we'll be back again next week with another episode of Jamilcast.